0: Hello and welcome to Hospice Insights, The Lawn Beyond, where we connect you to what matters in the ever-changing world of hospice and palliative care. Hospice Audit Series, CMS Program Integrity Audits are back. In this episode, Meg Pekarski and Brian Nowicki discuss the new wave of CMS Center for Program Integrity, otherwise known as CPI, audits that have been issued during the past couple weeks. These CPI audits remain focused on long-length-of-stay patients and typically involve hundreds of claims valued at well over a million dollars. As Meg and Brian explained, these audits may single a new approach to auditing by CMS and it's important for hospices to refine their response and appeal strategy accordingly. Welcome Brian, you're back!
1: Yes Meg, I'm back and raring to go. I had a nice uh, spring break a while back but um getting back into the audits, and it came back just at the right time as <laughs> yes, a new wave did. of these things have uh, have hit our uh, hospice audit team with the flurry of activity.
0: And it's not, we didn't have to do much sleuthing to say what, were, what was common, because uh, I don't know, is it six or ten of these we have? But the letters either dated, what was it, March 30th?
1: Right. There's a, a wave of these went out uh, March thirtieth, and another wave April ninth. Um, perhaps there's another wave coming. It's too early to tell right now. But yeah, we uh, the, the the phone has kind of been ringing off the hook with clients getting these letters in the mail um, and trying to figure out what they are and and how do they how to address them? How do they fit into the overall context of all the different kinds of audits that hospices are facing? Uh, so we've been fielding those questions and kind of putting, giving, giving our clients that context, because these are not the first time C- the CMS Center for Program Integrity has, uh, has issued these audits, these kinds of audits.
0: And so, and I, I think that there, <clears throat> there, are ones that, that sort of fool people on their face because people think of them as a smirk audit. So supplemental medical review, because you're sending your records to Noridium. And but when you see at the top of the right hand corner, it says CMS program integrity and it comes out of Baltimore. And so we call that CMS Central. And so so that's one thing though that that I think trips people up is oh, it's a smirk audit. And that's it. and it's like, well, no, it's not that. And then they also call it an ADR, which people also feel like, oh, ADR is I remember that stair stepper you know, visual that Brian and Meg have given about how scary something is and, and ADRs and MAC things are not that scary. And it's like, well, these aren't really ADRs either. They're much more in line with what a UPIC would be than than really an ADR. But but the other thing, Brian, too, we, we saw is um, they're all 10 patients, right?
1: Right, that's something new. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, CMS CPI came out with audits uh, and they were focused on long length of stay, but but usually just a very modest number of patients, maybe one or two, uh, because they were long length of stay, the the numbers could add up significantly, the dollar numbers, but it was a little sporadic between clients or hospices. We, you know, Some would get a, a couple, well, maybe one would get three patients and so on, but now there's a lot more uniformity to it. Everyone we've seen so far, It's 10 patients. I think the minimum number of claims they're looking at is 13. so that is just over 1 year of claims. You know, each claim is a month. So, uh, it looks like the minimum threshold is 1 year uh, on service. Uh, So we're trying to kind of piece together this new strategy that uh, CMS is is employing here with these CPI audits by bringing that uniformity uh, to its review. And because this is a CMS CPI, you know it's it's another reason not to be fooled into complacency about well it's just a smirk looking at these or it's just an ADR, uh, as you said, Meg. It's not. This is coming directly from CMS, so it's not even the CMS contractors on their own doing their own thing, which we can question whether a U pick is uh, really making good use of government time in the kinds of audits it does. Uh, Making good use of government resources here, because it's coming from CMS, we can be pretty clear that CMS is certainly behind this. They know what they want to do. They probably have a pretty specific objective out there such that they didn't want to leave it to 1 of their contractors to try to to look into this particular area.
0: That issue about 10 patients is. Is fascinating because, and we're seeing these all across the country, so it's not in 1 particular region but we do have clients of varying sizes that got this and they all get 10 patients and that's where i think you know you and i were were brainstorming about you know is there a larger project going on here that while they're not extrapolating anything it doesn't appear for individual providers but are they trying to you know have more uniformity in sample size by provider cuz you know, if you have 1,500 patients in your hospice or 100, if you're still finding 10 patients that meet this period of time, you know, that's, so you're oversampling some and probably undersampling others. And and, and I think likewise, people who have gotten these, there's no real correlation to, because everyone says, well, my pepper says I'm not an outlier on length of stay. And I think everyone who's gotten these, are not an outlier in length of stay and so it's not entirely clear the folks who are getting them why they're getting them um and not their neighbor next door getting them and so that's been interesting too
1: yeah and it could signal something else going on at cms the the fact that they're taking 10 patients per provider without really trying to make it proportional to each provider Uh, are they seeking to aggregate some data for some policy function yeah, you know, when the the contractors are out there doing their thing, it's pretty much they're trying to recover money that's not uh, that shouldn't have been spent according to CMS. When CMS directly is involved with something like this and they're being this this kind of methodical, um, they they also have policy uh, goals in mind. I wouldn't put it put it past them. I, I anticipate that they have policy goals in mind. Are they trying to take Kind of a cross section across a number of provider types and get the same number of long length of stay patients across provider types to try to make some broader point that might uh, cause any kind of policy change or justify any policy movement. Uh, So, I I think, as we continue to collect data on the kinds of patients they're looking at their diagnosis, uh, what is really the. The demographics of these groups of 10 for each hospice that are that are being pulled on. uh, We're going to have a better set of data to figure out. Is there a policy aim in here that uh, the the hospice community should be aware of and and try to to comment on, or at least participate in in some way beyond just responding to all of these audits, which, of course, you have to respond to the audits and appeal them and and all that.
0: Yeah, well, and. you know, probably goes without saying, but you start doing the math and uh, given the focus, 10 patients and they're pulling essentially their entire time on service, everything that we're working on, it's about a million and a half that's at stake. And so you and I recorded a podcast a little bit ago where we talked about some of the I think it was like 55 million we got thrown out over the last couple months of overpayments and you pick cases, you know, and a lot of that was extrapolation and we got extrapolations thrown out or the error rate reduced. So, so much that the statistics don't work anymore and those types of things, but, you know. And typically in those cases, you know, the underlying amount that's due, like that $44 million case, it was $26,000 was the dollar amount. Well, (laughs) because they only pulled a month period of time for each of the patients, you know, in that sample. But here they're pulling such broad swaths of time that I think it's, uh, you know, to to win on these. And I do think, you know, as you said, appeal is really important. it is, you're going to have to chip away though. And it's sort of a long haul kind of enterprise.
1: Yeah. For as, as, daunting or frightening as extrapolation is when they're taking 10 claims and turning it into multi-million-dollar uh, overpayments. Uh, our experience, Meg, and you and I have been very successful at this, is you, you stick through the appeal process and it takes months and years, uh, but I don't think an extrapolation has survived our appeal efforts. So you kind of just, you gotta be in the long game uh, and ultimately, you get rid of that extrapolation, and it's kind of a all all or nothing. We took 44 million down to 29,000 in the, you know, the snap of uh, fingers there. But here, where they're looking at 200 or 300 plus claims, uh, each one, which is going to be individually assessed, and each one needs to be the subject of an appeal, all the way through, you know, redetermination, reconsideration, ALJ. It's much more chipping away at it. Uh, And from our experience with the last round of CPIs, which are currently in that appeal process, many of them heading to the ALJ, uh, we have had success in this chipping away process, Uh, a bit of success at redetermination, more significant success at reconsideration. I think we recently learned that we cut one of the uh, number of denied claims in half. So you think of uh, error, error. Rate I think in that case was like 80% and it was over a million dollars. We essentially cut that in half at reconsideration. And now we go to ALJ, where we hope to eliminate it or, or really make some inroads again. But it is the claim by claim approach, um, having your, your physicians and your, your witnesses lined up to really attack it that way. It's a different kind of process, a different, different way you allocate resources. You're not going to have to hire a statistician. But you want to make sure you have a good physician witness to help you all along the appeal process, uh, because that's really where it uh, is going to come down to to winning or losing these.
0: Well, and and program integrity does mean fraud and abuse, and so that's another reason. And beyond just like these numbers are high, so probably, you know, working with your legal counsel is important. It is still a program integrity contractor audit. And so, you know, it, that can always lead to a referral or make it worse. Or, you know, so so I think if it's not the dollars that that bring your attention forward, it, it also is similar to a UPIC. People wouldn't handle those typically on their own. I mean, these are things that that folks typically should be using lawyers with from the get-go. And and again, don't be distracted by well, it's just a smirk and it's Neridian and it's they call it an ADR and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's actually CMS and this is just like a pick and it's worth a, a million and a half dollars. And so, so yeah, I think it, it's important and that's why we wanted to jump and do this quick podcast because it is a new development and that's why we do our podcast is it's a very fluid way to get out information and so I'm sure we're going to be talking uh, more in the future about that and like you said I mean you and I could bake up a lot of ideas about you know what is it this policy thing they're looking for that might be beyond just oh hus- there are some patients on hospice that live have the good fortune to live longer but Could it be something more? Could it be about, well, when someone's on hospice for three years, we spend X dollars and comparable to like if they're on home health, we'd spend X. I mean, who knows what, you know, the larger because you said different provider types or, you know, it it could be. I mean, a zillion things I could think of that would be interesting to explore, but um, nonetheless, I, I think it is, um, you know, significant and a stay tuned kind of issue because we we might see some similarities between what we're working on in terms of of diagnosis. I mean given this patient population, it's gonna largely be non-cancer and probably your dementias and heart failures just because of the difficulty of prognosticating. But, you know, maybe one last point, you talk about the chipping away and the physician, and, you know, let's not forget that, you know, they two physicians can disagree and neither be wrong, right? And so this idea of, you know, getting your physicians involved, that's really important and, you know, you do have a physician who was reviewing this patient at least every two weeks and believing they were eligible. They wrote a narrative that explained why they were eligible. And so, you know, you got to have a strong backbone here and believe in, in your team and your physicians and them exercising their judgment and being reasonable and doing so. And, and I think on straight up eligibility, as you previewed, Brian, we still get a lot of movement and on cases that can be challenging because, um, you know, it isn't an exact science and all those arguments we make about that. And so I don't think that you know, people have to be like, oh, and now I'm going to owe a, a million and a half dollars. No, it's probably gonna be something less than that, but it isn't going to be a slap. snap your fingers, this is gone and now it's $26,000. It's going to be an investment over years and and whatnot.
1: Yeah, and uh, as with as with really all of our appeals, um, the having a good clinical team and ultimately a really solid physician uh, to be able to support your appeals and and I mean even before that having a good a set of hospice physicians who are doing good narratives documenting in the record appropriately that's going to help you uh be on the lower end of whatever error rates are going to come through it's going to help your chances of success through the appeal process so that that's definitely something that we would always focus on but in this kind of an audit where they're picking on longer length of stay patients uh, I think it's important to be able to provide some context, especially when you get to the ALJ stage. And you mentioned the pepper report, Meg. Uh, because as you said, a lot of our 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 uh, hospices they're they're looking at their pepper saying i'm I'm not an outlier in long length of stay. Uh, I would make that point to the ALJ uh, and and be be ready to describe to the ALJ that uh, although the ALJ is looking at long length of stay patients, uh, it's not as if this is the entirety or even a fair depiction of the hospice's patient population. This is one end of a bell curve where through the PEPPER report, we know CMS really expects hospices to have a lot of short length of stay patients and a lot of long length of stay patients. And in having that mix, it doesn't mean the hospice is doing anything wrong. And so I always like to provide that kind of context. If, a good, if you have a good PEPPER report that shows you're not an outlier, then I think it's good to get that kind of context out through the appeal process so they don't have kind of a a misapprehension that boy, this hospice has all these patients who are on service for a year or more. Something must not be right there uh, because uh, there are patients who are on that long and and that's okay. Uh, that That's not automatically uh, incorrect. I think that's
0: exactly right, Brian. And before we leave, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of this of what we're seeing here. So. Um, One thing is that in terms of timeframes, some of these are going back to 2017, but they are so going into 2020. And even after October 1st and the election, uh, new election form and stuff, obviously, no, these people are going to have that addendum because they were on service before that, but just interesting to know that it does go into 2020 pandemic time frame but another couple other things brian in those letters about um if you want to extension you ha- there's a certain date by which you have to request it and why don't you you talk about that a little bit
1: right uh, the the time frame they give you to respond is 45 days which is longer than what a UPIC would give you a pretty standard response time is 30 days but here they give you 45, and they even include uh, the the actual date on which that uh, time expires. Uh, so if you you don't have to do your own calculation, uh, they also in these letters say you can request an extension of time, and they give you a separate deadline to seek that extension of time. And that deadline we have found is different for different clients. Uh, we have one client whose response is due, I believe may 24 may 21st they have to request an extension of that deadline by today april 15th when we're recording this another client has a deadline of may 24th and they have until may 21st to request an extension so it's a little bit all over the place i mean these are not necessarily the best proofread documents uh some of our clients have gotten lists of items to produce that are clearly designed for home health entities, not for hospices, and we've encouraged our clients to go back to uh, CMS uh, CPI and ask for the appropriate list designed for hospices, or or you know cross your fingers maybe it was a mistake that you got one. We haven't come across that yet, uh, but but you got to fly spec these because uh, there could be idiosyncrasies with each request in terms of deadlines, the documents they're they're seeking, that you wanna make sure you have a good document, the right document before you start investing all the time to gather together records. Otherwise, the medical records they seek, it's a pretty standard set of requests uh, for the medical records, stuff that we encounter all the time. Uh, some non-medical record documents that are standard are, uh, they wanna get licenses of the hospice physicians, they wanna get employment, uh, agreements or uh, contracts with the that the hospice physicians have. Uh, so those are out there as well. So they're looking into the, the working arrangements with physicians.
0: And then, you know, this is why I think working with counsel is important because, you know how you can gather those documents and how you produce them and how you organize them. There's better ways to do that and and less good ways to do that and so those are things we help people with and and a lot of folks during if you go back 2017 might have changed DMRs and so there might need to be some explanation about why records look different and sometimes when you have a legacy system you know, your ability to run different reports might be more limited and, and whatnot. So those are things we we talk through with people. So um, I, I think that uh, it's pedal to the metal right now in terms of audit activity is just really exploded. And we talked in previous episodes about you picks have really. know started up again and we talked about that these cpis now are sort of off to the races and so we have some clients who have multiple i have a i have a medicaid audit i have a you know cpi audit i have post payment adrs like there's a lot of money that people have that's at risk here uh through a variety of different different measures so there's a lot of very burdened compliance officers out there having to deal with a lot of competing deadlines but but a lot of hand wringing by CEOs and CFOs out there about you know all the reserves i have to make because of you know these audits when you start adding them up cuz anytime you do post payment review I mean, yeah, it's not impacting your cash flow, like prepayment review on day one. Once you get those results, you either have to pay it, allow recoupment, or if you you want to hurry up and try to halt recoupment, I mean, you can only do that for so long through the first two levels of appeal, and then this is going to be, you know, come due. And and then, oh, by the way, you just got 10 12% interest on that million and a half that was at issue. and so so there's some real big dollar things that that again, in terms of where this is getting elevated within an organization, I think um, you know random ADRs through a Mac probably aren't getting the level of attention, nor should they when you get one-off ADRs. but here you know this is this is something very different. So any other closing thoughts, Brian?
1: Well, let's let's hope that uh, this wave of March 30th and April 9th letters are the end of it. Um, but uh, but but who knows? It could be another set of letters going out. Um, it, it just it does seem rather expansive. It has not yet reached the level of what we experienced a couple years ago, which makes me think there's more of these letters out there uh, that uh, clients have yet to receive and and contact us about. But the last time they did this, you know, we handled quite a number of these audits. And right now, within a couple of weeks, we're up to, you know, eight, nine, or ten of them. And uh, if if for it to reach the same level as a couple years ago, we're probably going to double that. Um, but um, yeah, we're 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 uh, we have the strategies in mind to handle these kinds of unique audits. So we are full speed ahead on helping hospices get through them.
0: Well, Brian, that sounds very hopeful. <laughs> Even though you said it could get doubly bad, you leave with a word of hope. And so I'll yep. just stop right there <laughs> and say no more because you're not usually the optimist. I usually play that role, so. I
1: know I'm usually the bearer of bad news, but I gotta keep my chin up here and we're yeah, fighting exactly. the
0: good fight. Well, and we have 20 years of experience of, of, of winning. And so, um, you know, it's this is the beginning, not the end, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I, I think that they should be attention-getting within your organization. And so, anyway, well, I appreciate you, Brian, jumping on the fly and and doing this because I think it was an important uh, message to get out to folks to stay on alert about about uh, these letters that might be coming in the mail.
1: Yeah, happy to do it. Thank you, Meg.
0: Well, that's it for today's episode of Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond. Thank you for joining the conversation. To subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at hushblackwell.com or sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may the wind be at your back.